Welcome to Your Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by the Mind Body Spirit Festival. Today I'll be heading off to meet Yasmin Boland. Yasmin's an astrologer, a moonologer, and a best-selling Hay House author. And for the past two decades, she's been mixing astrology with the divine feminine, law of attraction, moon teachings, chants, angels, and more. So we're here today with the wonderful Yasmin Boland. Thank you for having us in your home for today's podcast. Welcome. We'd like to dive into the worlds that you're so um, knowledgeable on, and hopefully you can enlighten us and our listeners on the world of astrology and the moon and, and everything you have to offer. Okay. So maybe you can start us off by telling us about your journey into astrology and a little bit about your background for some of our listeners that don't know. Okay, so when I was little I don't think I really knew that astrology was an option as a career Mm. Um, the one thing I knew when I was growing up in Hobart Tasmania in Australia was uh, that I wanted to write I would go into my dad's office he had a nice office sort of overlooking the river Derwent with big big windows and a massive desk and uh, and my mum had a very big old electric typewriter and I would sit at the typewriter and just write short stories and write pretend magazine columns and all this. (laughs) And at that point, astrology, all I knew about it was actually, even though I was in Tassie, all I knew about it was in an English magazine called Pink Magazine. And I used to read it every week and they had horoscopes in the back. And I absolutely loved the horoscopes. And then as I grew up and through being a teenager, I'd read Cosmopolitan and an Australian magazine called Clio, which is probably like the equivalent of company here in the UK. And I would choose which uh, magazine to read each month, which one to buy. I wasn't very loyal based on, you know, if they had a horoscope feature in there or how, how big the horoscopes were that month or what they were saying and so on. So that was kind of the extent of my interest in astrology. And I went to university and uh, did arts and majored in English literature and French and then got a job as a journalist, um, which was a way of, you know, having a job where I could write. And I was always interested in cosmic things, but it wasn't really until I went back to Sydney um, and I learned to meditate. And I also met this woman who was an astrologer. And so learning to meditate um, really opened me up spiritually and opened me up to things like astrology even more than I was. And also at the time, there was a, a friend of mine who um, I'd actually, I actually knew from, she was Tasmanian as well. She, or she still is Tasmanian. (laughs) And um, she was an astrologer and was clearing out her she shed and uh, she was moving house or something. And she literally gave me four or even six milk crates full of the best astrology books in the whole wide world. Like there are kind of, there are, you know, there are classics in astrology that if you want to be a proper astrologer, you have to read these books. And, you, yeah, absolutely. you know, you just need to read because they're written by the giants of astrology. And so um, she gave me all these books and I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Like didn't really know why she gave them to me. Um, but I thought, what the heck? I've always been interested in astrology. So I started reading them, um, but I didn't know how to apply them to my own chart because she hadn't told me that. So one day she rang up about a month later saying, oh, how are you getting on with all those astrology books? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, they're really interesting, but I don't know how to cast my own chart. So I don't know what's in my chart. She said, oh, because this was like the end of the 90s. And the internet had started, but it wasn't what it is now. And you couldn't just go and cast your chart that easily. So she showed me how to do it. And I was like, ah, and that was like this light bulb switched on. 
basically all I did for the next sort of two years practically was astrology. And at one point, sort of about six months into it, I kind of got a bit alarmed because I was probably spending four or five hours a day reading all these books she'd given me and going online and joining all these forums and reading about it and writing about it just, you know, in my own, you know, doing my friends' charts every time anyone came over, just driving everyone crazy with astrology. (laughs) And I actually realised I wasn't really earning any money. (laughs) So actually what happened was at one stage um, this girlfriend of mine, KJ, who was a triple Capricorn, by the way, she came over. She was actually a journalist as well. She was a magazine editor. So one Saturday afternoon she came over to my house. I said to her, listen, KJ, um, I think this astrology thing has got really out of hand and... You know, I haven't been doing any work. All I'm doing is astrology. And she was like, oh, it's no good, Yasmin, you know. she's mm. She was very practical. She was quite interested in astrology as well, but she knew, like, she could see it was out of hand. Everybody could see it was out of hand. <laughs> and so she said, I think you're right. And I said, I think I should do something about it. She said, yes. So we said, okay. So we took all my astrology books off the bookshelf, took them all down to the garage and thought, right, that's it. A new chapter starts here. I'm over this craziness. Yeah. I can't let astrology run my entire life and I've got to do some work and earn some money and so that was fine we went upstairs to have a cup of tea and uh, literally about 20 minutes half an hour later my flatmate at the time walked into the flat with the six boxes or four milk crates whatever it was of um, astrology books dumped them in the middle of the living room and said I found these in the garage what are they doing there these are yours aren't they they should be up here and I was like (laughs) Oh it's goodness. a sign yeah so we both took it as a really really strong sign that I wasn't meant to stop which made sense because why would I have been so passionate about it yeah so what I did instead was I then flipped it and um, I spent $500 I remember which was a lot of money for me at the time especially because I hadn't been doing much work um, <laughs> but on the best astrology software in the world most people would agree it's um, it's called Solifier. It's an Australian program, but most people would agree it's the best okay. software, I think. And I started doing it seriously and thinking, okay, you know, mm. I can do this and I can start to make money from it. So I started putting it out there probably about another year later it was because uh, I'm a great believer that you put things out to the universe yes, and the universe responds. So I thought, okay, I think I'm ready. I've been doing this for two years. And I just started telling everyone I knew. And because I was a journalist, I knew lots of people who were magazine writers or editors or deputy editors or whatever. Um, But I'd interviewed Jonathan Kainer for a magazine as a part of this thing that I was trying to, you know, get paid for doing astrology rather than just setting myself broke. And uh, what happened was that Close Magazine was starting and they asked Jonathan Kainer if he would write their weekly horoscopes because he was the number one guy in the Mm -hmm. country. And he couldn't. And for some reason, he asked me (laughs) if I would like to do it. I'd been writing monthly stars for him on his website under my name with my byline. Um, I just asked him, you know, at some point, you know, because he didn't have monthly stars and he'd let me do that. So I suppose he knew I could write. And he had, and he'd sort of been mentoring me and he continued to mentor me actually. He was an amazing, amazing man. Then I got a column in Australia because somebody else heard about me doing it. Um, Jonathan kept me writing on Kana.com. And then pretty soon I had as much as I could handle. And that's kind of how it happened. 
sort of why I ended up writing about it rather than being a regular astrologer who will see clients and so on. I don't really, it's just not my thing. Like I said, I'm a writer. writer, And for me, and I love astrology. So for me, spending my life writing about astrology is like my dream job Mm. that I just didn't know existed and it just kind of wheedled its way into my life. Yeah, beautiful. What a wonderful story. (laughs) So did you find that the freelance journalism that you were doing before, whilst astrology was just a, you know, passionate interest of yours, was being influenced by those interests as well was there any correlation between you know your passion and what you're actually doing there there was a bit but it was also again you know it was 20 years ago and things were very different so I'd gone off and I'd studied chakras in um, Switzerland which was the beauty of being still being self-employed I could go off and do stuff like that and it was years before anybody would take an article on it Um, that said the whole thing, as I said, kind of started up after I started meditating. And meditating obviously changes your life if you start meditating on a regular Absolutely. basis. So I went from being like a coffee drinking, cigarette smoking, just regular journalist. Sure. And when I started meditating, and I was living at Bondi Beach, which is, you know, beautiful and sunny and healthy, um, you know, I changed. So one turning point for me was actually when I was back in London, because I used to go back between Sydney and London all the time. Um, I was back in London and I was sort of looking for a bit of freelance work. It was just when I was getting into writing about astrology, I remember. And that's sort of how I ended up doing what I'm doing, yes. which is, you know, and, and people tell me all the time that I really, really help them, that my stars help them through really dark periods. Mm. And I had an email yesterday from someone who, you know, who said exactly that. And she emailed me yesterday saying, you know, you got me through such a dark period and I was really unhappy, but now I'm happily married and we're about to start a family. I just oh, want to say great. thank you. Yes. And I get emails like that all the time. Like I get a few a week. Usually it's not people I've met personally. It's people who read my horoscopes in Closer. I write them in Red Magazine. Um, I do them on my site, asmbolan.com. I do them to Yahoo Australia. You know, it's an amazing thing to do, and especially now because we've got email, you get all this feedback, (laughs) whereas 20 years ago you were kind of writing in a vacuum and you never knew if anybody even liked what you were doing or didn't. Um, It did influence me. And, you know, I'm so glad it did, really. Absolutely. It's amazing. Like, what a privilege. Especially if you're becoming more and more in tune with yourself. So, like yeah. you said, you'd started on this journey of meditation. Yeah, which made what a massive sort of, difference. Yes. What sort of meditation was it that you started implementing into into what became a practice for you? So, the whole meditation thing, after I'd been working on a TV show in London called The Word... I realised I needed a tool to handle stress. Mm. So I was living in um, Oval in South London at the time and so I rang up the local Buddhist centre and I spoke to this guy who was called Werner and so I learned open-eye Buddhist meditation with him and then I had a friend in Sydney who had gone from being this completely chaotic, crazy girl (laughs) and she suddenly had, like, transformed her life. And I was like, Jane, what did you do? And she's like, I learned how to meditate wow. and it's changed my life. And and all, our, all we all knew Jane and we're all like, Jane's changed. What's happened? <laughs> so we all started meditating with the same teacher that Jane had had. And, and this um, is back in Australia. And this is back Sydney. in Australia. And that was run by someone who apparently had been studying meditation for like 30 or 40 years mm-hmm. and had picked and chosen bits from lots and lots of right. different practices so that was really powerful 
And then the last mm. training I did or teaching or learning was um, with a fellow that a lot of people in Australia at least would know who's called Dr. Tom Knowles, yes. Um, yes. who Definitely. teaches Vedic meditation. Mm. And he so, has lots of students in London now that are teaching under him So right. and because of what he shared with them. So yeah. He's very well known. Right. So what happened yeah. there was that uh, for some reason I ended up on the phone to Dr. Tom Knowles and I was still, you know, being a journalist as well back then and, and he said, well, and I said, I'm into meditation, I've been learning meditation. And he said, and I won't put on his American accent, <laughs> he said, well, any journalist who's into meditation is a friend of mine. Would you like to come and meet? And I'm like, sure, I'd love to. And again, it's so your own mantra. That's a mantra based My meditation. own mantra, yeah. yeah. And so that was completely life changing. And, and from there, it's just sort of gone on. And mm. I kind of wish that I that I knew more about Vedic astrology, but apparently, this lifetime, I'm meant to be a Western astrologer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think one of the great things about astrology is that you don't have to necessarily have. Um, you know, a dominating faith that you believe in, but that astrology is something that absolutely anyone can benefit from. Yeah. For people that, you know, are of either different faiths or don't have a faith at all, how do you feel that astrology can help them and their well-being? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you if you talk to, you know, probably, I mean, at least 50% of the astrology community, they would really almost discourage or disapprove of allowing your faith of any description to enter into your astrology. Mm. Because astrology is you're sort of supposed to be impartial. Yes. And to allow your faith or beliefs to influence your astrology would kind of be frowned upon. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who frown upon me because I will work with um, your astrology and might tell you which goddess or which archangel Mm. can help you because that's just the route I've gone down because I've always mixed astrology with spirituality. But Mm. there are some people who are really hardcore who would disapprove of that. and Yeah, because astrology didn't really come from that angle and it certainly doesn't now. But for me, it's almost been a gateway to my spirituality. So, yes. you know, it's different strokes of different folks. And there's there are people like me. And I'm even thinking of a girlfriend of mine who's a very traditionally trained astrologer. And, you know, she, I know she's now starting to introduce mantras into her. Mm. Um, I've seen her writing about it. So that's Kelly Surtees. And I know she does a mantra for Saturn, for example, mm. for people who are dealing with Saturn issues, which I think is brilliant yes. because... You know, the whole thing with a mantra is it it's so just enlightening and opening you up and inspiring and really, really helps you. So well, it's when, all vibrational, isn't it? Which exactly. Which is exactly about the moon and the planets and their effect on us. It's all vibrational. Yeah, and, and mantra especially, I think, is about to have a heyday. It's really kind of coming into fashion. So I'm really conscious of, you know, ac- accusations of cultural appropriation But I can't deny this, Mm. you know, even though I'm not Hindu, I talk about it in the hope that no one's going to jump down my throat and say, you have no right. It's like, I have no right. I was raised a Catholic in Tasmania, but it was going to this ashram, uh, you know, in Tamil Nadu Mm. in India that has actually changed my life, dare I say. I've never said this before, but maybe even more than meditation. And you mentioned in in your book that a lot of this wisdom predates history as we know it. Now, when you talk about cultural appropriation, in comparison, that's quite a modern idea. Yes. And there is so much overlap between all of them. So it's not necessary, perhaps, to compartmentalise them into... True. 
with various cultures. Yeah, and the other thing is that along the way I've become extremely interested in goddesses and goddess mm. energy. Which type of goddesses? Because many different cultures have different manifestations of goddess energy. Yeah, well, at the ashram that I go to in India, they're basically focused on three goddesses, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Narayani goddess, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the triple goddesses. Usually you get a triple goddess um, of Lakshmi, Saraswati mm-hmm. and Durga. And so I know those three goddesses I know really well. But I don't know all the history of, you know, their alter egos right, or right. all that, but I, I relate so strongly to those three goddesses. Mm. I don't even know that much about Celtic goddesses, actually. I know a bit, mm. but it's really um, Lakshmi, Saraswati and Durga that I'm strongly mm-hmm. connected to. Yeah. They're amazing because Lakshmi is the goddess of love and abundance and, and motherhood. And, you know, mm. in India, every shop's called Lakshmi Dry Cleaners <laughs> or Lakshmi Groceries or whatever because they want to invoke the abundance yes. of Lakshmi. Saraswati or Sarasvati is uh, divine feminine wisdom. Mm. And, you know, she's involved with language and music, amongst other things. Mm, all knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. Yeah. And uh, Durga is the goddess with the power to destroy ignorance and evil. And, you know, those three goddesses pretty much cover everything. And um, what my teacher says is we're in Kali Yuga, which is the end of days, basically. We're at the nadir (laughs) of civilization. I mean, it's a long, long Yuga. It is. uh, So it's not imminent, but we're in it. Yes. And, you know, these are the goddesses that we need now. Yes. And I'm like, I'm down with that. As a special thank you for listening to Your Wellbeing Podcast, we're offering a 10% off all tickets at the London Wellbeing Festival 2020. All you need to do is visit the website and use promo code PODCAST10. Only valid on online sale, terms and conditions available online. So one of the things that I think people very much know this term of Mercury retrograde and blaming Mercury retrograde for certain things Can you please tell us what it actually is, what it means, and how it affects us all? Okay. So Mercury retrograde is uh, probably the best-known astrological phenomenon by people who don't know anything about astrology, really. (laughs) Mercury is the planet of communications. It's a very fast-moving planet, and because it zooms around the elliptic, at times it appears from our vantage point here on Earth to be going backwards. backwards yes. And so that's when Mercury is retrograde. Mercury appears to be going backwards in the skies, and that has a symbolic meaning in astrology, which is basically that communication issues can go backwards. Mm. So the problem with Mercury retrograde, it's the whole thing of a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mercury retrograde has got this negative reputation for being disaster bad luck everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket all this it's not it's actually a time when the planet of communications is going backwards so life can be confusing because communications go a little bit haywire but there is a positive side um, which is pretty much what I've written a book about, the Mercury mm. Retrograde book, which I've written with a woman, an astrologer called Kim Farnell. We wrote it together. And it's basically looking at the fact that Mercury Retrograde, like every single astrological phenomenon, can actually have a positive side, which is that you get a chance to rethink, revisit, revise, re-edit, redo, revamp. Mm. So it's actually a time of second chances in many ways. Yes. But it, it is also a chaotic time as well. So you do have to, you know, if you're travelling, check your itinerary or if you're booking tickets you know, triple check before you hit pay. Or I had in the last retrograde cycle, I had my book coming out 
And um, is that a, is that a, an auspicious thing or perhaps not such an auspicious thing? No, no, thing? It, was, it was a good thing. Right. It was a good thing. My column that I told you about at the start of our chat about for Closer Magazine, mm-hmm. Closer Magazine was launched when Mercury was retrograde. Right. It's one of the magazines that has lasted the, the longest, longest. Yeah. and it's because every Mercury retrograde cycle, it somehow gets a chance to kind of reinvent itself. Mm. You know, even if the editors don't know that on a conscious level, in some ways I actually think it kind of just keeps redoing doing itself and that's probably why it's lasted so yeah my book was coming out um in the last mercury retrograde cycle which was at the end of last year at the end of 2019 and i'd been sending emails to my readers for quite a few weeks saying my book's coming out and i had this big exciting last email to send to everyone where i actually could give them the link to where it was and i it was to ninety-six thousand people i was sending this email and all the links in my email were broken <laughs> and to me it was like mercury was kind of mercury is a trickster of the zodiac and i yes. felt like mercury was kind of tricking me and sort of going okay well you can focus on the positive but at the end of the day <laughs> i can still whip your butt with a bit of mercury retrograde confusion I'm in charge. yeah yes. exactly So do you think it's unfair that people will blame the Mercury retrograde for everything going wrong in their life for a certain period of time? Or is it actually a little fair? No, it's not fair because people (laughs) tend to blame all sorts of things on Mercury retrograde that are just completely not Mercury. So the example I like to give is in the last Mercury retrograde cycle when my book was coming out. So I was talking to everybody about Mercury retrograde all the time. And this one reader wrote to me and said, you know, I get what you're saying, but last Mercury retrograde gave me appendicitis. And I'm like, (laughs) no, it didn't give you appendicitis. Mercury retrograde doesn't make you sick. Mercury retrograde is far more likely to make you late or, you know, if you're going somewhere, you're far more likely to lose your luggage or something like that. But it's not disastrous. Yes. You know, it can be annoying, but it's kind of annoying at worst, you know, and useful at best. Another important question I have for you about astrology is the difference between moon signs and star signs. Can you tell us about the difference between the two and the the play and interplay? Sure. So your star sign, which astrologers call your sun sign, is where the sun was the day you were born. Right. You know, if you were born when the backdrop of the sun basically was Leo, then you're a Leo. Or if you were born when the sun was in the constellation of Virgo, you're a Virgo. Your moon sign is where the moon was when you were born. So by the same token, if the moon was in Gemini on the day you were born, then you have a Gemini moon. The moon and the sun are the two luminaries, but they kind of don't relate to each other in a a weird way. Um, Although they are, you could say they are the yin and yang of the zodiac because Mm. the moon is really yin and Mm -hmm. the sun is really yang. Um, But unlike... With the planets, you know, for example, with the Sun and Mercury, Mercury's never very far away just because of the way the way the, the planets system. work. Yes. Yeah. Whereas the moon's going around the Earth. So you can have your sun in one sign and your moon in another in any other sign. Whereas, say for example, your sun and your Mercury will never be more than I think about two or three signs apart. Mm. So is one perhaps more significant or important than the other? Because you're saying one changes more than the other between the moon and, and the sun or the star sign? So the sun takes about 12 months to go through all the zodiac signs, whereas the moon takes one month, Mm -hmm. a month is where the word comes from. But no, they're equally important. The sun is your ego and the moon represents what you need, what feeds you Mm -hmm. and your emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't say one is more important than the other. What people might not know and is sort of interesting is that anyone born on, say, 
the 14th of April is going to be an Aries. Right. So, or anyone born on the 1st of September is going to be a Virgo. There is the changeover period, which changes a bit from year to year, which is why mm-hmm. if you're born on sort of between the 19th and the 22nd, you kind of do need to do your astrology chart to be sure which sign you are. And you are one sign or the other. You're not a bit of both. Right. When they um, refer to people being on the cusp, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But the thing with um, horoscopes that you read in the paper is the reason why we do horoscopes is because everybody can know what their star sign right, is or their right. sun sign is, whereas you, you have to do your chart. So just to make it a bit more accessible. Me, with your time, date, everyone. place of yes. birth um, to know your moon sign yes. or your rising sign. But I would say when you start astrology, you know, start with your sun sign, sure, but also look at your moon sign and your rising sign. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So lots of homework to be done from this. Yes. Um, since you mentioned the moon, today's episode of our podcast is going out around the time of the new moon. Can you tell us a little bit about the new moon um, and particular things that we should be conscious of and aware of that are relevant to this new moon in March? Sure. So the new moon took place at about 9.30 this morning. Right. So just a couple of hours ago in the sign of Aries, which mm-hmm. is the first sign of the zodiac. So the first thing I'd say is for any Anyone who is interested in working with the moon, start today because you've That's got great. the new moon in the first sign of the zodiac. So you've got 12 months, you know, going around the whole zodiac. Next month will be Taurus, the month after that, Gemini and so on. Um, but also this new moon took place conjunct, which means in the same place as Chiron, the wounded healer. So if you have something in your life that has deeply wounded you, that you know you need to heal in order to live your best life Mm -hmm. this is a really good day to commit to at least one month but ideally a 12-month healing journey if you want to call it that Mm -hmm. Um, because this new moon has healing written all over it it's also good for love and abundance because we've got loving abundant venus in a harmonious aspect to jupiter pluto and mars in that order so hopefully it's going to be a really lovely new moon for the Um, planet or specifically to those of us in the uk no that's for everybody everywhere in the world fantastic yeah wherever you are and the other thing i would say for people who are new to what i do what i do in astrology i i've kind of went from astrology in general to moonology which is a, a word i made up Basically, it means working with the moon. So what I do... Which is brilliant. I'm reading that book at the moment. Oh, thank you. What I do at New Moon is I do New Moon intention setting and Mm -hmm. New Moon wishes. So just spend some time writing down your intentions for the month ahead. Because we've got Chiron involved, think about what you need in your life, what you need to heal. Mm -hmm. And also because Venus is in harmonious aspect to those other three planets... Think about what you want to do regarding your love life or your your state of abundance mm-hmm. in the coming month and make some intentions around that, make some commitments, make some wishes. It's a really, really good day for all of that and I'm really glad that we're able to have a new moon which is really positive because, you know, sometimes it will be clashing with Saturn or opposing Pluto or something and that's right. when it can be quite challenging. And should people set different intentions for each new moon based on the relationship of the moon with the planets or is it just a good time in general to set intentions i mean you can do either like if you read my book moonology you'll see Mm. i give ideas for themes that you might like to set intentions around every month yes but then in my moonology diary i break down each new moon because each new moon is different so like like we just said this one has got the healing aspect it's got the love and abundance positivity so you know yes then augment your wishing practice 
with the specifics because then you're basically getting into alignment with the planetary energy so you're exactly. you might as well do that and and the next step up there's basically you can just make general wishes yes. you can make wishes in line with what sign the new moon's in so it's in aries so you can be looking at being more courageous where you need to be braver in your life you can look at actually what the planets are doing in relation to each other but then also you can look at it in relation to your own personal chart okay. so you know if you are aries rising say today it would be taking place in your first house which is how you come across in the world your appearance so mm. you'd be thinking about what can i do in the coming months to work on my appearance maybe i need a makeover maybe i need a wardrobe makeover maybe i need to redo my website mm. anything that presents you to the world your business cards anything like that then you can work with that over 12 months around your chart and it's mm. actually really easy to do once you know how and in Amazing. moonology yeah. there's a grid on page 80 which will tell you so as long as you know your rising sign you go and you see okay i'm that rising that's where the new moon is and it will tell you which house it's in so you know you could apply it in the most personal way to your life yeah well yeah. that's exciting because yeah. i am actually approaching that part of the book so there you go that's exciting go for me. yes definitely would you be able to give us and our listeners perhaps a one minute mantra or one minute meditation that you feel would be a really great takeaway for everyone listening today something that's unique to what you do Sure. So I told you that at the ashram I go to, uh, basically we honour Lakshmi, Saraswati and Durga. Yes. And actually it's Durga that we honour at the new moon. Durga is um, gives us courage and strength. Mm -hmm. So I can give you a really short but powerful three-line Durga mantra, which if you just listen to it now and you think about what you want, mm -hmm. it will be a step towards getting it and when we listen to it do we need to be sat in a particular way or doing anything in particular or can we just listen to it i would say you know if you're at home sit somewhere quiet put the headphones on and just close your eyes and breathe and let it just wash all over you you know but if you're driving the car pay attention to what's going on <laughs> in the road <laughs> wonderful i always give the disclaimer i'm not really a singer but i do love to chant so well we're ready <clears throat> whenever okay. you are Om Durga Ye Namaha Om Durga Ye Namaha Om Durga Ye beautiful thank you so much very powerful indeed with your chanting so we're really excited that you're going to be presenting a workshop for us at the mind body spirit festival uh this year in 2020 at london olympia you're going to be doing a workshop with us on the on the monday on the 25th of may can you tell us about what everyone has to look forward to with that workshop well it's actually going to be a new moon workshop and I've called it the, I think it's got the word wishcraft, W-I-S-H, wishcraft oh, in, the, yes. in the title, because I'll be teaching people about making wishes and setting intentions which actually work mm -hmm. under the new moon using sort of a combination of ancient practices and, you know, modern day techniques. Wow. Really so we'll be doing them on the day 
So you'll get the theory and then we'll actually do them. So lots to take away from that workshop as well. Yes, and lots of dreams to make come true. How exciting. So perhaps our listeners can already start preparing what they want to come out of that workshop with you. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, you time. need to kind of get clear on what you want. Yes. Yasmin, if people want to know more about your work and get in touch with you, where can they, where, where can they go for that information? Okay, so probably the first place I would suggest would be Facebook. So mm-hmm. if you just put my name in, Yasmin Boland, I will come up twice because I've got one page which is Yasmin Boland where you get all my personal opinion about anything you ever wanted to know about <laughs> and the other which is Moon- Yasmin Boland's Moonology, which is pure Moonology. Right. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Planet Yasmin Boland um, and my website's yasminboland.com. All the links to the work that you've mentioned will also be available in the podcast description as well for all of our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for hosting us in your beautiful home here in London. And we look forward to hosting you at the festival coming up in May. For more information about the Wellbeing Festival, visit mindbodyspirit.co.uk. I've been your host, Parvini Vias, and this episode was produced by Josh Roberts and our sound engineer, Erin Melican. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back very soon. Bye.